Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast that you need. I'm Shireen, and I'm joined by Brenda and Jessica. Today on the show, we will be talking about the World Cup draw. Speaking of the draw, I think Edris Elba is hot. And I think that hosts are important for things. So I think he was a great host for the men's World Cup draw in Qatar. Um, I also love Rashmin Chaudhry. And the reason I say this is I like to bring everything back to Idris Elba at some point. But I also want to talk about hosts. Jess, who do you love as a host? I love Hugh Jackman. I liked when he hosted the Tonys and the Oscars. I like when he sings uh, and I just find him adorable and I love how much he loves his wife. So Hugh Jackman. But I also wanted to mention Saturday Night Live, which I like never watch and someone I'd never heard of named Gerald Carmichael hosted. And I just want everyone to go watch the six minute intro that he did. It's about the slap, but it's like the tightest, most perfect response to that. And I just want to know everything about this man now that I have seen those six minutes. So what do you know about him so far that he's really good at stand up comedy and smart? It is so good. (laughs) Brenda, you're smart and like smart things. Who is your host préféré? I'm not going to say Chris Rock, but really traditionally, he's one of my favorites. Um, In a similar vein, though, is Ricky Gervais, two people that just like don't give a fuck. Wow. Look at you, Bren. Yeah, I know. It's not for everybody. (laughs) These are not for everybody. These are not these are not everybody's hosts. That is true. If people were like, you know, I think it should be someone else, I think I'd be like, Yeah, you're probably right. But if you ask me who I enjoy just seeing, like really be like, Oh, look, we're at an award show where things pretend to be fair and they're not, and like millionaires depend, you know, pretend to care about Ukraine, but they don't. You know, that's Ricky Gervais for you. That's that's he's going to just like just like tear down that facade. And that's what I like. Not him, you know, maybe bordering on transphobic jokes. I do not enjoy But the idea of having a host that's going to tear away this like posturing of progressive politics at these awards. Yes, please. I would love to see you host the Men's World Cup draw. Brenda. Me too. <laughs> Me too. A plus. <laughs> Just imagine. I spent the whole time talking about Rihanna. <laughs> if you, I mean, honestly, if you kicked Sepp Blatter, what would you do to Infantino? Oh, oh, you know, that's, I'm very angry about him right now. I'm picturing Brenda in like the most amazing tux. Yeah. It would just look, wow, I'm so happy right now thinking about that. I would probably love Brenda more than Idris Elba. I think that would happen. Oh my gosh, yes. that's a huge compliment. I already do, but like, do you know what I mean? Yes. I would be like, we'd have to do this topic again. Um, a little more locally, there's uh, the in-house Raptors host. His name is Mark Strong, and I think he's amazing, and he has some excellent energy, and I love that. Um, so should we offer a submission, Brenda, for you? to host the men's draw next time? I could totally host the men's draw. I'm good with the women's draw. Um, I also, you can submit my name for the blonde or because the, the draw, you know, I don't get to meet or fangirl over people, you know, then it's just a straight roast. Whereas <laughs> I feel, you know, the blonde or at least, at least I could pepper my negativity with some sincere love. Um, for players, you know? Yeah. 
I want that for you. I want that for us. I want to just like walk by Cristiano Ronaldo and say nothing. You know, like just like, oh, is, <laughs> is someone here that people are like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I've got my pretend microphone, you know, <laughs> just be like, how does it feel to be the most overrated player of all time? <laughs> would you, you know what I would love? If Brenda wore a matching glittery tux like Messi's family had. <laughs> <gasps> oh, wow. We need that Photoshop. Like oh. immediately. The Men's World Cup begins with an idea, then involves some mafia-like scamming, then comes the World Cup draw. That's a basic synopsis. So that's where we are now. The draw has occurred. It occurred in uh, Doha, Qatar. And for those of you that uh, care, it's not Qatar, it's Qatar. <laughs> so hit me up if you're interested in saying that. But let's talk about the draw. There are eight groups for the Men's World Cup. And they, it was like a little lottery. Do you remember when we were young and we had the, the lottery pick, the little balls in the machine that blow around? They actually pick them out of a... They do. Okay. Yes. That's, I was going to That's ask. actually what okay. happens. And they had like eight stations and people were picking out those, those balls. So group A is Qatar, who are the hosts. So they get an automatic buy. Their first appearance at the Men's World Cup. Ecuador, Senegal, the Netherlands. Group B is England, Iran, United States, Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. There's a couple that we don't actually know yet. Um, group C is Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Group D, France, Peru, or Australia, or United Arab Emirates. Then Denmark and Tunisia. Group E, Spain, Costa Rica, or New Zealand. Germany and Japan. So E was considered the most difficult group. Group F, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon, and Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. So those are a lot of teams. But Brenda, where did this idea come from of the draw? Like most things involved in global soccer, it was cobbled together over time to serve various corrupt um, interest groups. So the very the very first draws in 1930, there was 13 teams, and they were actually divided into four groups. Then they played each other, and then whoever won went on to the semifinals, and then the finals, right? So it's always been a part of, you know, football tournaments in general. And when you have something that makes a lot of sense, like relegation, this also makes a lot of sense. Um, the discourses around it don't. The governance around it doesn't. Um, but when we expand the next time around in 2026 to 48 teams, I mean, I what? just, they're going to be 48 yeah. teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Soon it'll just be the whole world. will play in the world cup. Okay. Of course, because capitalism, you know, gobbles the world. Like, it's just they won't stop. It'll just be year-round, year-round world cup. You can thank the U.S. for that, that wanted more money for its World Cup in 2026. So you can thank, you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation, or if you don't want to thank them and you want to be like, what kind of shit is this? You can do that too, because it's ridiculous. Oh, And Canada, yeah. Canada yeah. wants that money too, because they're, they're, yeah. they're joint hosting. And it's not like they ever mm. give that money to the women's side. And 48 teams is insane. It'll be like a three-month World Cup. Anyway, whatever. You have to just give yourself over to the fact that there's never going to be a good, like, this is just the way it is. So you can just stop watching soccer now. 
You can be an activist within, but you have to give yourself over to the fact that this is just going to be stupid. So, yeah, there's going to be 48 teams. So it's always been around, and I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, you know, to involve people, give people a chance as much as possible. So the qualifiers always kind of worked like that, and even in the tournament. Um, the idea of a group of death is super stupid, and I'll just tell you why, because now we're not at the point where, like, these groups have one team that goes on. You have two teams that go on. It's just so frustrating to see these otherwise smart journalists write things like group E is a group of death with Spain, Costa Rica, New Zealand, Germany, Japan. LOL. This is the easiest group in the world. Why? Why, Brenda, would this be easy? There are two hard teams, Germany and Spain. And that's right. And they go on. That's why it's not the group of death. It's the group of no chance for Costa Rica. That's all it is. It's not a group of death. The group of deaths are the ones that actually you get a spoiler like Poland, Argentina, and Mexico. Now, there, that's going to fuck you up right there. That's like, you don't know. You know, points might be thrown around. Things might be happening. So just, you know, be very cautious about who you follow before you, like, go and say this, like, wild-ass stuff. Yeah, you'd make the best draw men's World Cup draw host ever if you go in with that type of commentary. Love all that. It would just be like, obviously, groups A and B are cheating. You know what I mean? Like, that's a setup to say that Qatar has a, Qatar has a chance. That's what that is. Jess, do you have any questions for Brenda? I, I really do have a question. So I did do the thing where my nationalism had me watching the U.S. men's team playing soccer and I don't understand much of any of this and so they kept talking about how there was going to be half of a qualification spot and I now understand (laughs) that like there'll be the CONCACAF Oceana playoff game we talked Costa Rica New Zealand but like how do they determine how many slots these different federations get to the to the point that you have half of a slot for multiple (laughs) it it sounded so confusing as a casual watcher of men's international soccer. And of course, they didn't explain it on the, on the show. So I've been dying to ask you this. So each federation, each country can have a federation. Okay. Okay. Um, each federation has a vote in FIFA and a governing body. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like, like the UN. And each has a team. They all go to this Congress and they make rules. When most of the World Cup really exploded, Africa was almost entirely colonized by Europe. Okay. um, As well as big chunks of Asia. And so it's super unfair. There are 54 federations in Africa. 54 countries participate. And they only get five spots in the World Cup. Whereas... There's 55 in Europe, and they get 13. And this is just because they all voted on this? Right, because they weren't considered developed enough, (gasps) I'm putting big air quotes, to have a football culture worthy of entering the World Cup. Oh, this is so similar to what you get with women's sports. And, like, like they're never developed enough to include them. Mm. Right, right. And so the .5s are kind of like these give backs here and there. Asia has 4.5. Oh, so it's terrible and insidious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. And then here's the worst is that there's a Europe playoff with just Europe. Yeah. Like, it, it made sense to have the two, like, 
confederations, like we only have one more slot to give. So we'll make you guys have a playoff of your lowest teams. Uh But then it's just like, but we'll just give Europe one more that it can play itself for. Wow. Okay. Which is gross. And then there's things like Israel, which should be banned entirely from participating in FIFA. And it gets to be in UEFA, which means they give up a shot of going to the World Cup ever but continue to express their nationalism and settler colonialism through football. So, I mean, there's ways in which, you know, countries game this for different reasons and either are willing to lose their spot or win their spot, depending on where on where they are. Now, the fascinating thing about global football in a lot of ways, and this is why I like, really love studying what I study, is that South America... And this is why sports don't reflect world power or anything perfectly. Why they always reflect things messed up is that South America, you have 10 countries um, in the South American Confederation, which is the oldest of the six um, after Europe. And that gets 4.5. And if you expand to 48, what the hell? Are you going to have six out of 10 South American countries playing? That said, are you going to see better football because you have the majority of South American playing? Absolutely. Do they account for most of the world's professional football players? Yes. So how about that? Thank you, Fred. <laughs> I just, I, God, I love it when we get to talk football. Um, Brenda had said it, how it initially started from corruption. And Jessica, you said it was insidious the way that it was all pieced together. One thing is scandals. And I want to get a little bit tawdry in the gossip because a huge part of men's football media is gossip. I almost feel like it's the engine. It's a, Yeah. <laughs> we can't have a proper conversation on men's football without having a conversation about these type of things. So some of the biggest scandals in men's World Cup draw history. This is one of my favorite headlines. Set Blatter claims that European draws fixed with hot and cold balls. I just think that title was so, so British. So... It's basically that when the balls are being drawn out of the, the like the sphere, it's like in a clear sphere, you can see the balls because that's as transparent as FIFA will ever get is a clear sphere to have the hot and cold balls in them. So when people pull them out, they're instructed to either pull out a hot one or so they're temperature controlled. Think about this. If you ever read the Nobel Prize winner, Mario Vargas Llosa, who wrote uh, La Fiesta del Chivo, it's about Rafael Trujillo, who literally did this in the 1930s. So this like mimics this classic authoritarian. And that was the thing. He would have the kids draw the balls to look like he wasn't corrupt. But then he would tell the children which balls, the hot or cold balls. So I feel like this is like an amazing dictator trick that FIFA has learned. Like they get a book of like secret villains. How do they do it? Like I would like to understand the mechanics of this. Freezer. They put the the balls in the freezer and then they're like pick the cold ones or maybe hot ones, Shereen. I just know that in this story, it's a cold one. Okay. Okay. Like the level of corruption is not super sophisticated no. i can just see yes them no. carry around a coleman cooler with the cold <laughs> they're like scooping out it's the balls of- yes so do like, not look behind the curtain do not look behind the curtain don't look what is happening in the wings of the stage i want to know so another one that i thought was really interesting is michael platini of uefa a french former french national I feel like I should have disgraced before every single person I'm talking about here. Disgraced Michael Platini. 
He said he was booted out of both UEFA and FIFA. Again, disgraced. Uh, and if it wasn't clear, Sepplatter is also disgraced. He has gone so much as to say that the 1998 World Cup draw was fixed, which is shocking, which was made so France would play Brazil in the final. And we all remember 1998, uh, you know, France, the men's side won and Zinedine Zidane hoisted the trophy. We love Zinedine Zidane on this show. He can do no wrong. That's not true. But let me think that. And, you know, I just think it's really interesting that at this point, Platini, who was the head of UEFA, is coming out now. And now they're trying to call out, including Sepp Blatter, they're using this sort of playbook of calling out past wrongs that they were complicit part of as a redemption arc for their own evils. It's so bizarre. Like, I just wonder what Infantino, what group chat text he'll be posting in 10 years to add, you know, vindicate himself. And don't forget, I just want to, in case listeners don't know, Platini, as Shereen mentioned, and Bladder, who were implicated in many um, corruption scandals involving hosting, including the 2010 World Cup in South Africa including this 2022, are eligible to rerun for office and participate fully in football next year. So Bladder's um, football for life sentence has been reduced. They're both eligible as of 2023. So look for them to make these statements right now because they're thinking to themselves, how can I get back in there? Because there's more to embezzle. I did come across in preparation for this episode two Toronto professors who actually study statistics and probability. And this is from the article that we're going to quote. It's a CBC article that we'll add in the show notes. Quote, Rosenthal and Roberts have devised and proposed three alternative selection methods, each of which offers a perfectly uniform draw. Pick after pick, eight groups are filled out purely and objectively. Their most stylish and exciting method still includes the use of lottery balls, which, which face it are kind of fun, a computer algorithm which gives equal weight to each theoretical candidate for a group, while also meeting all of FIFA's constraints. Selectors should then be offered a collection of balls containing those names to draw manually. Rosenthal and Roberts have approached FIFA with their trio of solutions. At the moment, at least, the probability (laughs) that any of them will be implemented seems limited. Yes, good luck to these statisticians. We're just two professors (laughs) out of a sea of billions of football fans out there, so I'm not holding my breath that FIFA's going to change everything and do it our way, (laughs) Rosenthal said. But they... you'll die. But they are aware of some issues, end quote. So I think there's really cute people nerd out on football. I I just think this is really fascinating stuff because there's real academics out here dedicating research time to studying how this can be less corrupt and terrible. And FIFA will be like, thanks, no thanks. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) We're never going to see Rosenthal. I mean, Rosenthal. they could just draw the balls like normal. <laughs> They'd be room temperature. I mean, we can go through this or you could just, <laughs> just We just want them to all be room temperature. <laughs> so there are these political and governance scandals, but also there's actually really awful, like fucking awful human rights abuses. Jess, what else is happening? Yeah. So we've talked about human rights abuses in Qatar a lot on this program. For an in-depth rundown, I suggest episode 202 Cutter and the World Cup of Shame. It was actually the three of us almost a year ago exactly talking about this. But it isn't just activists, organizers, human rights advocates, and burn it all down who care about this particular aspect of this upcoming World Cup. Last week, Lise Klavanis, president of the Norwegian Football Federation, spoke at FIFA's Congress in Doha the day before the draw and used her six minutes in front of the group of mainly dudes who run FIFA, including Gianni Infantino, And she said, quote, In 2010, World Cups were awarded 
by FIFA in unacceptable ways with unacceptable consequences. There is no room for employers who do not secure the freedom and safety of World Cup workers. No room for leaders that cannot host the women's game. No room for hosts that cannot legally guarantee the safety and respect of LGBTQ plus people coming to this theater of dreams. I think it's fair to say hearing someone from within FIFA say this publicly to FIFA, that seems like a rarity to me. She's really rare. I mean, she's not in the executive council, so she's just a regular voting member, kind of like, you know, at the UN or something, like coming to represent her country. And she's a former international who's really well-respected, had many caps for Norway. So, fuck yeah, she's awesome. And I also think it's really important. Uh, We've seen a rise in players also talking about this and, you know, Men's football media is a huge, huge industry in the world. Um, I'm not saying I'm giving anyone any cookies, but there have been questions more so. I think there's there's a way that we should be questioning this. There is a way to love football, and there is a way to question and be critical of what we're talking about here. Um, and so recently, Human Rights Watch, and I just want to draw attention to this, released 10 questions. Like they released a document saying 10 questions journalists should ask FIFA and the Qatari authorities about human rights abuses. But even if you're not a journalist covering men's football, these are really good questions to be thinking about as you watch and as this we get closer to the Men's World Cup. I'm not going to read all of them, but like one of them is why does FIFA continue to praise Qatar's reform process despite the ongoing human rights violations in Qatar? And for very specifically, for those that don't know, was very much indentured servitude of South Asian men predominantly. And by the time the Men's World Cup rolls around, almost or maybe more than 11,000 men would have died constructing these stadiums. And it's growing. You know, it's not reported that way by the authorities, obviously, but that's an approximate for human rights groups have said that, quoted that number. Can I just say that there's something deeply depressing about the idea that the Human Rights Watch has to put out a thing asking journalists to do what seems like the most basic Mm -hmm. of questioning. They're right. They're right because of how these access journalism works and the integrity of some of these so-called journalists. But wow, that just bums me out. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, think about how little anybody cares. I mean, there's a few of us, but, you know, and and there's so much to care about. Ukraine, you know, a thousand soldiers have died. But it's like, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> it's like, not war. And I think, like, one thing is, I feel like for these journalists in these press conferences, part of it is that you worry that FIFA will never allow you back in ever again. because oh, they won't. But also, they won't. but also that the people sitting around you, your colleagues, the people who are doing this work with you will be annoyed mm-hmm. that you have brought this up and, mm-hmm. and brought the party down. And we know how FIFA would react, but also shame on the colleagues who would make someone feel as if they, these are not the questions that should be asked all the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not here only to toot burn it all down's horn. There's a lot of people doing this type of reportage. But honestly, we're used to being feminist killjoys in this group. So we're fine with asking these questions. Because one of the other questions of the 10 is, will journalists face any restrictions reporting at Qatar if they come up for the World Cup? And for me, safety of journalists is really important. Um, safety, speaking out publicly in your own country, and I know for a fact from very, you know, very solid source that Qatar does keep track of who says what about whom. 
They really do. They follow online like personalities and journalists who are critiquing them. And even those that don't work for major publications or whatnot, they do. They have dossiers on people coming in. They know exactly who's coming into that country. Um, Qatar is not a democracy. And let's remember that. Well, FIFA is no type of democracy. And I know that this entire thing is like super sketchy. So at the same time that we want these questions to be posed, it is very depressing from a journalistic standpoint. Like this is what you're up against and also retribution that you shall face. What would that look like? If you don't have a country that's supporting you or an institution that backs you up, what does that look like? If you're an independent journalist traveling to Qatar for the Men's World Cup, do you have the supports you need? These are all things to consider here. And, you know, in that very same vein, pushback not only of journalists, but what about athletes and, and, and other countries, Brenda? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, the pushback once Lise Klavnes spoke, um, the pushback came right away. There was a rebuttal from Jose Ernesto Mejia, the president of the Honduras, that said this wasn't the place for that, which is the same hackneyed stupid thing that we've heard a million times. But the other issue is, you know, This is a system that is very susceptible to corruption. And you have a one country, one federation, one vote, like the United Nations. That means that countries that are structurally weaker in terms of protecting journalists, in terms of banking restrictions and regulations, for example, like Turks and Caicos, will be able to go in and you know, pull a certain weight, or in this case, Jose Ernesto Mejia gets to talk to Luis Clavines. I don't know why he hasn't done shit in football, but gets to stand up and basically tell her that she's out of place. Um, And so this is the type of thing that you really have to like wrestle with. And it's impossible to understand how this continues to transpire and how these things can be cleaned up if you don't get into the very messy labyrinth that is this governance. But the problem is, how does he, how do you even understand it when you're not giving journalists access? And as you're saying, this is set up this way on purpose. Just know it's intentional. There's intentional confusion. There's intentional denial of press passes. This isn't anything that they want transparency over. So yeah, the pushbacks come from these places and then there's this inbred structure to it. Like from jump where like these dudes get to like rebut what she just said like shut the fuck up are you kidding me qatar um coordinating what what is he coordinating an organizing committee gets to respond to her why the guardian said they set it up this way yeah exactly because they want they want him to make her seem like she's this white Mm -hmm. woman who's racist against them they told her to go get educated it's like shireen just told you eleven thousand people died you know what I mean? Get educated yourself, you murderer. What are you talking about? You know, and how dare you use the very real fact that there is imperialism and racism in FIFA to protect yourself about killing South Asian workers? Just, oh, my God. I also, am, while it's really important to focus attention on this particular one, it's not like other men's World Cups are devoid of the type of criticism. And I think it's heinous to attack somebody speaking out against this and say, well, you are white and you can't talk about this because there has to be a way to be able to do that. But at the same time, I'm very conscientious of who is speaking out 
against these countries and haven't spoke out previously or won't speak out about USA and Canada hosting. It's not like gentrification doesn't happen. I mean, no Olympics has been, you know, on this from the get go. They're talking about mega events and how disruptive and destructive they are. FIFA gave hosting to USA that is literally attacking trans kids. Like literally, how is that? Okay. Will men's football journalists be asking these questions? Like I'm like, I'm so ready for 2025 to come so we can have them all on the burn pile. So my point is there is a way to critique all the time. Let's continue those critiques. Another thing that I wanted to sort of shift to and pivot to is the idea of we say men's world cup because it's important to make that distinction. And, you know, I think that there are campaigns, even one that Canadian women's soccer team captain Christine Sinclair actually backed up about adding the M to these discussions, to talking about sports and why that's important. Um, and Jess, I know you had some thoughts on this too. Yeah, well, when Canada uh, qualified, a lot of people basically erased the women's team and all of the success they've had by just skipping over these three decades by, you know, it made it sound as if no Canadian team has been to a World Cup for 36 years. And we know that that is just patently false. And all you have to do in order to correct that is literally write men's World Cup. What is that? Five characters. Like it is literally nothing to just say the men's. And it bothers me to no end just because of that of the default idea that that men in, men's is sport and women's is something else. Um, but also... It really just got me this time because of the erasure of the women's team who were the best in the world at the last major international competition. Um, and it's just so easy. And at the same time, women's qualifying is still happening right now. There's a World Cup coming up behind this for the women. And so it should just be clear. Just say what you actually mean and just put men's there. It's, it's, oh, it's so simple. Just do it. We're not asking you to put it in a freezer and carry it around, make it hot or cold. Just use the right language. <laughs> you know, or if you can't wrap your head around it, integrate the records, integrate the facts, you know what I mean? And then stipulate what it is. Like, like you know what I'm saying? If you want to keep the World Cup, it's the same game. It's the exact same rules. It's the same size ball. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing different. So if we want to consider this one thing. Do it. Then do it, but then you have to start researching women's football, and that's what they don't want to do. So I'm right. sure that these people would rather just tack on men's. You know, I almost think, like, to a certain extent, I'd love to have, like, make them do the work to actually figure out some women's statistics. I mean, it's really interesting when I saw a headline that says Canada has not been to the World Cup since 1986. I'm like, you fucking hosted it in 2015 Wild. at home. I know. <laughs> like, what the? I know. I know. <laughs> oh, oh so bad. I was oh, there. No. I remember. <laughs> like, it's just, it's bad. So please, this is the only time Burn It All Down will ever implore you to talk about men or include men in anything. Add men's World Cup. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. 
Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For this week's interview, Amir and Jessica talked to Austin FC's goalkeeper, Brad Stuver, about his journey in the MLS, his service in the Austin community, and his advocacy for trans youth in sport in Texas. When I moved down here to Texas and you're on the ground and you're talking to people that are in the fight, you go to the Capitol and you see children standing up there giving speeches about their own rights and their own freedoms. and they just want to be themselves. Um, it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, wow, I'm in a unique position where I have a platform that I can reach a different group of people and a larger amount of people. So in that moment, I wanted to be able to leverage my position to at least advocate for this group that might not have the same audience that I do. on to everybody's favorite segment the burn pile jessica can you go first i can so i want to start my burn by reading the lead of an associated press piece from last week quote the public share of the cost of building and operating a new stadium for the buffalo bills will exceed 1.1 billion dollars once long-term maintenance costs are factored in 1.1 billion dollars for a sports stadium for a private professional sports team owned by billionaires. This plan was recently announced by New York Governor Kathy Hochul, a Bills fan and Buffalo area native. For just the actual construction of the new Bills stadium, taxpayers, both state and county in New York, which includes our own Brenda Elsie, they will pay $850 million of the $1.4 billion cost. That means that the billionaire owners of the team, Kim and Terry Pagula, and the National Football League will only pay $550 million. That $850 million would be the largest direct public subsidy for an NFL stadium in history. The entire state of New York will be putting up roughly $600 million, with more than $418 million of that coming from a delayed casino-related payment from the Seneca Nation, according to Hochul. The Seneca Nation has come out strongly against this deal. Seneca Nation of Indians President Matthew Pagels put out a statement that read in part, quote, New York's hostile and shameless greed was laid bare for the world to see yesterday. The governor's new stadium won't be a product of progress. It will be a monument to Albany's vindictive desire to punish the Seneca people. Ultimately, it's something we're all too familiar with. Pagels also pointed out that Bill Hochul, Kathy's husband, y'all get this, Bill Hochul, Kathy's husband, is a key executive with a company called Delaware North, a Buffalo company that holds the concession rights to the current stadium. So he seems deeply invested in what happens with stadium construction in Buffalo. You cannot make this shit up. 
Even before Hochul became governor, she met with Bill's co-owner, Kim Pagula. This is clearly a top concern for Hochul. Of course, she has said this was necessary. It's always necessary to make sure that the Bills didn't leave Buffalo for some other city that would hand over a shit ton of money to them. But like, man, that's not a good enough reason. There is no evidence that the public benefits anywhere close to making up for the expense. Roger Knoll, a Stanford economist, has said that these stadiums, quote, create an economic black hole because the money spent on professional sports teams is not actually recirculated within the community. Economist after economist will tell you this. Y'all, the Pagulas are worth $5.4 billion. They could pay for this whole thing by themselves and still have $4 billion. <laughs> the team itself is valued at $2.2 billion. And these are the people who need public money to pay for their private business? Just no. On top of all of this, a few days before Hochul announced this deal, she put out her proposed budget which has an $800 million cut in funding to the Office of Children and Family Services. A few days later, turns around and says that the state's going to put $850 million into an NFL stadium. I hate all of this. It's garbage. I want to burn it all. Burn. Burn. Brenda, what are you torching this week? I'm still mad about Jessica's burn. I think I just paid my New York State taxes and now I'm pissed. Um, So my burn is something that's equally upsetting, which is my one-time, I don't know, hero icon, sports idol, Martina Navratilova's posting on social media um, regarding trans women in sports. She has in particular propped up the pseudoscience propped up. And again, this is second hand, third hand, fourth hand. So often like these things work of Nancy Hoghead maker. So these two are arguing with the Miss Foundation. So Miss Foundation did all this research about, you know, the ways in which um, trans women are not being included in policy making, the way that these new policies are you know, excluding trans people. And here comes Martina Navratilova and Nancy Hogshead to say, no, that's not true. Like, what credentials do you have? When did you ever do a study? What are you, social scientists? You know, I mean, I respect your your careers, but, you know, they put up these graphs that are like, here is this biological analysis of the difference of blah, 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 blah. They have no idea what they're putting up there. It's pseudoscience and it's bullshit. And at the same time, they mix it with these pro-LGB, I will not say T, messages. They put J.K. Rowling out there. You know, you know what this is and how they are unable to identify that the very same people who are homophobic, like the New York Post... And they, they retweet those outlets, the ways in which they don't recognize that the very same people that are spouting this anti-trans rhetoric are the very same people that are homophobic. It's so frustrating. It's so confusing to an audience that looked at both of them as real feminist heroes and icons. I am so deeply disappointed that they would put this stuff out on Trans Visibility Day 
on all of these other days when we are trying so hard to show people the way in which this is connected that there are ethical biologists that are out there saying like, look, you people, like there are many genders. This is a spectrum. And yet they find this graph that they just throw up there and it's like a two second thing and it's just violent. It's very upsetting and um, it only empowers the very structures that they think that they're tearing down. And so I want to burn um, their irresponsible social media. Burn. Burn. We have talked about how terrible FIFA is in many regards, and this is a topic that Burn It All Down has revisited many times and one that I have written of and looked into, and it's one that still is very painful. Um, Iran continues to block women from entering stadiums. And this latest report that came out on March 31st from Human Rights Watch again, and I do want to give this organization cookies for the reporting they do on violations of human rights in relation to sport in particular, because these need to be documented. And those in powers all over the place, men and even women that are holding up toxic, you know, and and violent patriarchy, don't do that. So this is really important. And again, props to the journalists that are, are reporting on this around the world at their own peril against states and regimes. So Iranian authorities prevented dozens of, of women to attend a match on March 29th, which was actually a FIFA Men's World Cup qualifier for Qatar. It was between uh, Lebanon and Iran. And there was videos circulating all over social media of how women were gathered in front of the stadium and authorities were using pepper spray on them. They weren't allowed to enter. And this is a lot of the reporting of Tara Safari Fad, who is a senior Iran researcher with Human Rights Watch. Um, and they were they were just violating, violating the rights of these people to watch and to participate as a community, which is just unabashedly unjust. Now, uh, the Iranian Football Federation issued a statement on the 30th saying that it was due to um, a lack of preparations that they weren't allowed to accommodate the women. Like, what what exactly do they need? They need a seat in a stadium to watch. There's th- These are all deflecting mechanisms. Like, it's so... Like, Iran should have been suspended a long time ago. And and as much as I hate to say that, because I have friends that play for Iran and are invested in women's football in Iran, but this is unacceptable. It really is unacceptable. And it also puts Iranian women in a terrible place. Because what it does then is that they don't want to speak out about it because nobody wants to get suspended from FIFA because it'll shut down their own programs. It's like you're a catch-22 situation. You hate that women can't attend, but you also don't want to shut down your own programs. And we've had Ketayun Khasroyar on the show before, who was the coach of the senior women's national Iranian team. And, you know, like she didn't speak to this, of course, because I'm not going to, you know, suspect why, but it's very complicated is what it is. It's also treacherous that women are being treated this way. It's also even even more treacherous that Infantino had gone and publicly promised that the Tehran Derby is one of the biggest in the world. He was there when women were detained a couple of years ago. He was literally on premises when 30 women were detained. And he promised after that. He didn't make a statement. Well, in Iran, he waited until he was back in Switzerland. But the point here is to say, it's not as if this is unknown. It's hard for me to say that I want Iran suspended because I care about women's football in that region. But at the same time, it's this is unacceptable. And we all remember, you know, when 
there was a young woman um, who actually died of self-immolation. And it's it's really hard. Sahar, uh, Sahar Khodayari, she in 2019, because she was so frustrated, she was being she was detained and didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and this is there's deaths at the hands of these these policies. Literally, I want to take all of this. I want to take those powers that be in those places that are the spineless, that don't give a shit about women, that refuse to include women in the football community and in the football world, which is absolutely against FIFA's policies of gender discrimination, which are just lip service at this point. Um, and I want to take it all and I want to torch it. Burn. Burn. After all that burning, let's lift up some really, really incredible moments and in folks. Brenda? There was um, a lot of amazing attendance this past week at the Women's Champion League quarterfinals. Barcelona versus Real Madrid brought in over 91,000 people to Camp Nou. Jess? Swing Cash, Marianne Stanley, and Lindsay Whalen are all part of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2022. I just want to tell you a little bit about each of them. Cash is a three-time WNBA champion, two-time gold medalist, four-time WNBA All-Star, and a two-time NCAA champion at UConn, who is currently the vice president of basketball operations for the New Orleans Pelicans. Stanley, the current head coach of the Indiana Fever and former WNBA Coach of the Year, coached Old Dominion to an NCAA championship in 1984 and back-to-back AIAW titles in 79 and 80. And Waylon is a five-time WNBA All-Star, four-time WNBA champion, and a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's currently the head coach of the Minnesota Gophers. This is an incredible lineup. I want to shout out uh, the U Sports women's basketball winner, Ryerson Rams. They won their first U Sports gold medal to end a 14-0 undefeated season. They played Sunday night. There was a lot of women's basketball, collegiate level, university level last night, but this is one of it. And I'm very proud to be an instructor and part of the faculty at X University. And this was some great news. Give me an A. A. Give me an M. 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 Brenda, faster. Give me an I. I. Give me an R. R. Give me an A. A. What do you get? Amira. (laughs) Amira. Dr. Amira Rose Davis. She had an essay about Title IX at 50 that aired on ESPN before the championship match. It is beautiful and poignant and pointed, and we are so proud of her. Here is a short clip. This generation has been forged in fire. They are taking the torch and are ready to burn it all down, to blaze their own trail. Your categories cannot contain you. Your expectations are not their limit. Brenda. The NCAA women's basketball winner, the South Carolina Gamecocks, who defeated UConn 64-49 to win their second title. Jess, tell me more about that. Aaliyah Boston, who racked up 30 double-doubles this season, won all the postseason awards, Associated Press Player of the Year, the Naismith Player Mm. and Defensive Player of the Mm -hmm. Year, and Final Four Most Outstanding Player, which makes sense given that she is the first player to average at least 15 points and 15 rebounds in the tournament for an NCAA champion. It is going to be fun to watch her at the next level. Brenda, tell me about the coach. Don Staley, Naismith Coach of the Year. 
but also now a two-time national championship coach and the first black head coach in Division I basketball history to win multiple national championships. Can I get a drum roll, please? Our torchbearers of the week are Australia, Woo-hoo! who won the Women's Cricket World Cup Woo-hoo! final over England. It, this was held in Christchurch, New Zealand, and Australia was 356 to 5, and they beat England, uh, which were at 285 by 71 runs. This is amazing. You know, Cricket has blown up all over the world, but to see it competing at this level, they had stadiums with thousands and thousands of people in it. It was exhilarating. The time difference is a little weird, but I do also want to thank Shane Thomas for constantly sending me tweets of catches. There are memes like Hype Beast is one account you should follow that literally had was capturing all the incredible like fielding of these cricket players and them jumping through the air. It was just so incredible. And I, I just want to say to our friends in Australia that this was, we see and hear the exhilaration. There was a lot of excitement in women's sports. It's really fun when you're in your position to have so much, so many torchbearers potentially, and so many honorable mentions, but we really wanted to hold this up. Congratulations to Australia. I mean, you know, it was, India was incredible. Pakistan was incredible. There was, it was just a really riveting tournament. And we just want to hats off to Australia. It feels so good to go into what's good after that hype. I just love that. Also, Australia's uniforms are this gorgeous canary yellow. And I just love that. I feel like I want to get us all Australian cricket uniforms. Although my Pakistan friends would be like, what are you doing? But like, I still think that we could. They're still sticking it to the empire. They're still sticking. You are right. Um, Brenda. Tell me what's good. I love it when she's sticking it to the empire. Brenda giggling over her pun is amazing. I don't even think it's a right pun. It's a mixed sports metaphor. Isn't they call it sticks? I thought it was bats. Yes, they have an umpire. It's an umpire that they have. Uh, Brad, <laughs> tell me what's good. Um, So I watch the Academy Awards sometimes, but I've never seen the movies in time. And so that's always kind of difficult for me. But the Grammys, I feel ready for And I actually really enjoy. Um, And so last night, Brandi Carlisle was on. And she's just so incredible. And I love that all these people who also are huge fans and watching it for people like Olivia Rodrigo get to like then see Brandi Carlisle and John Baptiste, like people that they might not have on iHeartRadio every 20 seconds. So I really just like love that. And they were so wonderful and their performances were so wonderful. And also um, Justin Bieber is so wonderful. And so I was so glad. <laughs> Lest you think that I that my musical tastes are in any way only highbrow. Um, it was he was fantastic. Um, and I love the leather pants that he's really committed to both on tour and now at the Grammys. I, they're like baggy leather pants, which is a whole strange Look that I I don't know. I mean, what does it work for him? I'm not sure. But um that was really incredible. John Baptiste was oh they were so good. And let's see. Oh yeah. 
It's Luna's birthday this <gasps> week. That is my middle Yay. child. Um, my favorite book, um, Sound and the Fury, which I have a tattoo of, takes place on four dates, one of which is her birthday, April 7th. It's also Billie Holiday's birthday. And so I feel like it's really charmed, and I'm really excited to um, do fun birthday stuff with Luna. Happy birthday, Luna. Happy birthday, Luna. That's like the longest What's Good Brenda's ever had in almost five years. I love this energy <laughs> right now. Usually you're like, uh. <laughs> I have brain fog because I'm recovering from COVID, which I guess is also what's good that I'm recovering. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real fog perhaps going on Monday morning post-COVID. <laughs> you're beautiful and brilliant, Brenda. Um, uh, Brenda and Jessica, burn it all down and Lindsay and Amira and Tressa. And Shelby are my what's good, as always, uh, the Burn It All Down team I love. I got a lot of joy of seeing Lindsay at the final four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. And what was really fun for me was I have a very dear friend named Claire Hanna who was covering the final four for TSN. And they did a little video together. They did a video and they sent me a selfie. Claire is a flamethrower. She's been on the show. Claire has been on the show. I love them both. I screamed when last night they sent me, look how beautiful this photo is. It's beautiful. They're beautiful. <laughs> They're really fucking beautiful. Um, and those of you who may remember, when I went to go see my first curling tournament, I went with Claire and her boyfriend, Kirk, who is a curler. So it doesn't get more exciting than this. Everything I talk about eventually comes back to curling in one way or another. But anyways, point is, I just loved seeing Lindsay there. I thought her newsletter last night about covering the coverage was incredible. If you haven't read the latest Power Plays, please do that. I know everything I knew about because I was so wrapped up in women's hockey for the last couple of weeks and will permanently probably stay there because I love women's hockey. But I was so grateful that there's colleagues out there doing this work, colleagues that I know. I've also listened to every episode of American Prodigies, and I am obsessed with that. I may, I'm as emphatic, emphatic about that as I am about Burn It All Down. It's really good. It's so fucking good. It's really good. But I do think my favorite episode is episode six because of the moms. I have a thing with moms. It was it was wonderful to listen to. And now this essay, um, I have a really exciting thing coming up. Black Girl Hockey Club is doing a takeover of <laughs> Toronto. And I'm so excited. Renee Hess is coming and a lot of the Black Girl Hockey Club members. And we're doing a panel, which will probably be the first ever um, panel on hockey with only black women. And I've been honored to host it. I've been given this privilege and honor and I'm so excited. It is a closed event. It's not open to public just because of capacity, but it's just one of these things that sometimes I sit back and go, what is my life? So I'm really, really, really excited about that. And Renee's coming to town and we're going to hang out. And I just, I can't wait because I love her so dearly. It was also Mustafa, my youngest, his 16th birthday. Oh, wow. Happy birthday to Coco Bear. He's, you know, he's 16. He's my baby. He's going to go to get his beginner's permit and just probably just to like troll his older brother, Salahuddin, who does not yet have his G1 beginner's license. And I, you know, according to my best friend, Aaron, I enable him by taking him everywhere constantly. I do love those car rides with him, but also this man needs to fucking get a license. Lastly, it's Ramadan. I love Ramadan. I love this month. It makes me feel happy. Jihad is actually in her midterm, so she opened her fast with her cousin Yasmin. They go to university together on the floor of her room, and Aww. she sent me photos of them breaking their fast together. And I'm so glad she has a community 
of really incredible young women around her that are strength and a source of community, which is what I also get to in Ramadan. And it's so important. And uh, good luck to all the students out there. I know it's a tough time for you in your finals, but you'll get through it. And, you know, one thing at a time. And yay, Jess. Wow, that's a lot to follow up with. Yeah, I mean, of course, American Prodigies is on my what's good. We recorded the last, we did the last big tracking session last week, which is feels really bittersweet. Um, I've loved working on this project and it'll be nice to have time back <laughs> from not working on it anymore. But um, yeah, episode seven dropped this morning. So if you go listen right now, uh, you'll hear me in it. Um because sadly, it's about abuse and gymnastics. And so I'm there as an expert. But you'll also hear me in episode nine, we do a wrap up where I talk to Amira about doing the entire season. And it's really lovely and beautiful. I also finished a huge project last week, it came out with USA Today. Uh, the piece is titled They've Had 50 Years to Figure It Out. The Title IX Disparities in Major College Sports Haven't Gone Away. And that was just months in the making. USA Today is doing actually a huge investigative package. This is just the first piece. I had to look at a lot of numbers and create a lot of spreadsheets, not my forte. So I feel very proud to have participated. There's very cool databases in there where you can see uh, how different schools spend money, public schools, because we're getting public data, uh, spend money on men's and women's collegiate teams that are similar. So basketball teams, softball, baseball, tennis, golf, swimming. Uh, it's really an amazing project. It took a ton of people. I think at one point, I was in an editorial meeting with 14 people. So just USA Today threw a lot of resources and we were A1 on the paper on Friday, top of the top of the fold. Yay! So that was really thrilling. I'm going to the University of Idaho next week. I'll be speaking on the evening of April 12th, Tuesday. Uh, when I have more concrete details, I'll be tweeting about them. And then I just wanted to mention, so I also am recovering from COVID. So yay. And thanks to telemedicine and antiviral meds. I'm doing okay. And my family is doing just fine. Uh, but I watch a ton of stuff, <laughs> like like a lot. Uh, so I just want to like, shout out to second season of Starstruck on HBO. I absolutely love that show. This, uh, I watched all of Bridgerton and one go the day that it came out. Um, Shereen Amir and I will be talking about that for Patreon. There's a sports tie in, we promise. Uh, Aaron and I just finished Our Flag Means Death on HBO last night, which is like the gay pirate romance you didn't know you needed. Uh, and so just love all the romance stuff. Thank you so much to the world for putting this out right now when I needed it so much. So there you go. We are watching the NWSL this week and highlights of all the really cool stuff that happened over the weekend. I'm sure men are playing sports somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. Good guess. <laughs> yeah. This is my professional opinion. Um, that's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Walden is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. And thank you to our patrons. Your support really means the world. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burnitalldown. And as Brenda always says, burn on and not.